0: Hollywood puts out a new film, properly titled Babylon, as it showcases the hopeless debauchery that is the very foundation of Hollywood. And we listen to Tyson Fury tell how he's been cursed since the day he became the heavyweight champion of the world. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 5 Eleven (laughs) News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at really a new film that came out just recently titled Babylon, which covers the, I guess, the switch from silent film to sound film And we're going to be looking at that and also some quotations and some statements that have been made by different actors, directors, and even the heavyweight champion of the world. But before we get into that, I would love for you right now to make sure you are subscribed to our Good Fight Ministries YouTube channel right here. If you're listening on podcast, do your best to try to leave a review. One of the things that happens is the more good reviews you have, the more people get to listen, and because we always do our best to share the gospel on this channel, we hope to get that message out as much as possible. But nonetheless, as we look into these stories, it is very interesting. When I had originally seen, while walking to dinner with a few friends, a big giant poster with the term Babylon on it, I thought, oh no, is this another one of those films regarding some biblical time... (laughs) timeline or something, you know, like Exodus, Gods and Kings, or that horrible Noah film with the rock monsters that came out with Russell Crowe, but I realized that, no, it didn't have anything to do with the Babylon of old, with old Nebuchadnezzar, but actually was detailing Hollywood. And the film Babylon is a 2022 American epic period comedy drama, film written, and directed by Damien Chazelle. The film features a huge cast of a bunch of stars, including Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. And if you remember, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie were both in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film that depict a later time in Hollywood. But this film is quite interesting because it goes for that foundation of the switching over from the silent films over to these films that would actually have speaking in them and and so forth. And what it details is really the debaucherous edifice that was Hollywood and I believe still is Hollywood today. And actually, you don't need to take my word for it. I want you to hear from some of the directors, some of the actors, and even some of the people who have reviewed this film that are going to speak exactly to what this very disgusting movie is all about.
1: With Babylon, I wanted to capture in those early days of Hollywood in a really unvarnished, unsanitized way. I wanted to show what really happened during this time, the extremes to which they lived and worked and partied. It's something you would not expect from the 1920s. To your knowledge, was it? are, is, are there shades of truth to sort of how debaucherous it was back
2: then? Well, that's what we're told. I mean, certainly it was before the rating system came in and, and everyone was kind of feeling you know feeling things out it was new and and by all reports it was the wild wild west and pretty um pretty what i like what i would uh, our equal would probably be 60s late 60s rock and roll early 70s yeah. you know that kind of zeppelin-esque time that we hear about yeah and yeah all these like every pretty much everything you see on screen is inspired even if not by a kernel of something that happened so there'll be like a story that damien's read somewhere and then mm-hmm. kind of depicts it with, We're fictional characters, but amalgamations of real-life people and real-life stories. Um, But yeah, it sounded just like a pretty debaucherous time. Um, It sounded like a really good time. Yeah, it sounded
1: really fun. Damien Giselle's newest film is here, and it's a three-hour-long R-rated orgy of sex and drugs set entirely in old Hollywood. Just in time for Christmas.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, actually, when it comes to this film, because... Damien Chazelle is famous for his movies like Whiplash and La La Land, which tell and depict an entirely different view of a lot of these things. Ultimately, it seems to be he's kind of gone into a little bit of a different genre here. But when we look back at this, I I find it very interesting because we are talking about a film that is supposed to depict what it looked like when really the whole scene was going to change here in Hollywood and what filming movies and what was going to be happening and what that was going to look like. And I think of that old song that said that the video killed the radio star. And I also think about the reality of when we actually began having filmed debates rather than just radio broadcasts. And I think the most famous one that ever took place was when Richard Nixon debated JFK. And for those who listened on radio at the time and weren't actually watching what their facial structures were looking like and the, the kind of sweating that was maybe going on and so forth, that most people thought Richard Nixon had won the debate. But for those who had watched it and actually viewed it on the television, they then said, hey, this good-looking JFK versus a Richard Nixon who is not so good-looking, it seems like maybe he won the debate. And so you do see how the visual aid and then now the switching in terms of this from a complete silent film to actually hearing the actor's words where there was going to be a change. But one of the things that didn't change, and one of the things that is the foundation here is exactly what was depicted, and that was the debaucherous lifestyle of Hollywood actors. And one of the things that is brought out in this, and I believe this is the point that we can talk about scripturally, one of the things that is so clearly brought out, and one reviewer talks about it, is how surprised he was with, it looks like, the director, Damien Chazelle, has actually kind of changed his point of view almost with the depiction of this film, being that he's not only the director, but actually the writer of it. And it seems like his view on Hollywood might be a little different than it was while filming
1: La La Land. That's what kind of pushed me back as a viewer and looked at this movie, comparing it to La La Land, a movie that it looks at Hollywood in such a beautiful way, and Babylon's the exact opposite. Fame and fortune and the way that these individuals live, it's not always a good thing. And the industry, how it was being looked at by those on the outside looking in, well, to everyone else, it was where you wanted to be. But to the people inside, according to this movie... It was hollow, it was exploitive, it was fueled by sex and drugs. According to this movie, it was fueled by selfishness. And there's so much that goes into the way that this movie approaches Hollywood that makes me look at Giselle and think, this guy, he has changed over the years. And I don't know if this is his view of Hollywood, Hollywood, or what Hollywood was, compared to what it is now. But I'm seeing things through his perspective here, and maybe at times it comes across as a bit jumbled, as a bit frantic. But I see how he is approaching the beast where it was back in the day, in the midst of the silent film era. How they transition into talkies, and how that transition was not the smoothest for a lot of people. Now, notice a couple of things as he said. It seems like this guy's has
0: a different viewpoint of what. Hollywood really is, and it seems like what he's saying is that there's a lot of emptiness there and a lot of drugs. And in fact, when Damien Chazelle was talking about this film, he did talk about how when he was looking at it, he thought, oh, this is going to be so beautiful of a time. And then when he went and looked back at it, he realized all the killing of oneself uh, that was involved, some of the drug and debauchery and all of that, But I found it very interesting. And whenever you do see Babylon, it does kind of, whoa, what's going on there? Especially when we see how the New Testament writers actually encompassed or started to use the idea of what took place in Babylon when Judah was taken into Babylonian captivity. And one of the things was that the writers of the New Testament, and specifically Paul, Peter also uses this terminology about them being as they are a royal priesthood but honestly as we are resident aliens here on earth that our home is not here our home is in heaven and one of the things that he talks about in his in Peter's letters is how they are in babylon how they are in this midst and there is an idea there that's being passed along and i think for anyone involved especially if you're counseling young men and women The idea that is expressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is so important for all of us to kind of memorize and meditate on and to warn our children and warn um, the brethren in our flock, the brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus, warn them about simply being unequally yoked with non believers, tying yourself to a non believer. And it's really interesting. Because I want to read from Second Corinthians chapter 6. And in starting at verse 14, here's what it says. Do not be bound together, unevenly yoked, with non-believers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God... Just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now pay attention to this verse. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Now when he says that statement that they are not to bring touch anything unclean they're not to bring anything unclean come out from the midst of my people this is a quotation from Isaiah 52 11 before the promise right there at the, at the end of Isaiah chapter 52 and then all of chapter 53 the prophetic showing to us so clearly in the scripture of the Messiah who was going to come to be marred more than any other man, the Messiah that would come and be bruised for our iniquities, he would be pierced for our transgressions, that we thought him smitten of God, we thought him cursed of God, all the things were going to fall upon Jesus. We see that before that, he tells them so clear in Isaiah 52, 11, and he's talking to the priests and the Levites to make sure they're not taking anything from Babylon and bringing it into the temple. And think about how Paul is using this scripture to say, we should not be taking the things of Babylon and bringing them into the temple. And what is he equating you to there? If you're a blood-bought believer in the text, in 2 Corinthians 6, that you are, if you are a blood-bought believer, you are the temple of God. For all of us under the new covenant, we have the Holy Spirit that resides inside of us. And so, if you are part of the new covenant, you are the temple of God where the Holy Spirit now resides. So, what do you have in common with the non believer? Touch no unclean thing. Do not be unevenly yoked with the non believer. Guys, when it comes to these things, when we see the very edifice, even by their own admission of the films that they even put out, when we see from what they are putting out, the debaucherous lifestyle, the nihilistic viewpoints, the over and over again of stripping the biblical worldview, taking the parts they like, using it as a buffet, and throwing out the rest in order to subvert you, and that's really what's going on, I would say let us not touch any unclean thing. Let us not allow these things to influence us or the people around us that we care about, encourage them not to allow Babylon to come into the lifestyle. This is why churches like the Church of the Glades and all all these churches that do entire movie things and themes where it's all about some secular movie made by people that hate God or music or whatever it may be, let's make sure we're not touching any unclean thing. These are wicked, wicked things and let's not have them in their midst, because what does he say? Come out from their midst and be separate, and do not touch what is unclean. And guess what? This is imperative. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. And one thing we also need to look at, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, and we'll put a link in the description here regarding some of the nihilism that has been pushed in so many of the films and TV and so forth but the hopelessness that is involved in so much in cinema. In fact, this is not, it's very interesting, because it's not just simply Christians saying, look at all the hopelessness that we're finding in Hollywood. Even the very reviewers and fans of Hollywood are saying that this is what's going on. In an article titled, What Happened to Hope? The Emotional Emptiness of Modern Cinema. One of the movies that they point to is the recent Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and it says this, quote, You can rarely have hope in blockbuster movie franchises because conflict is only ever over until there is a sequel. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, is a perfect example of the hopeless and intellectual emptiness found in major releases, retreading old plot points and saying nothing of any note. It features the return of the Jedi in the form of Rey, played by Daisy Ridley, even if This should have happened in earnest after the epic journey of the original trilogy. Most crucially, this sense of repetition doesn't lead to any momentous conclusion that warrants ruining the hard-earned happiness of the preceding films. The idea it decides to end the series' main saga on is that the same wars are fought again and again across the generations, a concept that hardly inspires belief in the possibility of real change. Now, notice we're talking about a cyclical nature. So once again, we are getting the cyclical nature of the false religions of Babylon, of the false religions of the world, whether Hindu, Buddhism, whether it's people who worship stars, and you know, it's the winter solstice, it's the summer solstice, and all this nonsense. It's this cyclical nature. That's going to come up more. But not only that, We see this mentality and what it drives the actors and just anyone who really is a celebrity and where it drives them. In fact, the actor Shia LaBeouf, when he was at the height of his performing, the height of the star of Transformers after being a childhood actor with even Stevens, now he's the star of Transformers. And this is what he had to say. And remember, he had a bunch of tabloids be written about him. He's getting in car accidents. He's breaking his, himself. They're having to get him hurt in the film to cover up some of the stuff that he's doing outside of the filming. And this is what he has to say. Sometimes I feel like I'm having a meaningless life. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could all go away. You never know. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it is like a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. Not only actors, as we've mentioned, but just the idea of celebrity and what it does to a person, where it takes them into these terrible mental states, and not only when it comes to these actors, but just anyone with celebrity. Some of them talk about the curse that it really is being a celebrity. So you have all these people wanting to be that celebrity, wanting to be famous and rich and all of this, and then you hear the people that are actually practicing these things. In fact, I want you to listen when Ariel Helwani was interviewing heavyweight champion Tyson Fury. And he was so excited because he remembered that this was seven years ago to the day he became heavyweight champion. And he was excited to remind Tyson of the great accomplishment and how his life has changed since becoming heavyweight champion. What is your your most sort of... Um clear memory from that night what like when you think of that night what pops to your mind right away that night that changed your life forever
2: i I think it was a night to be honest i think i think it was like a, a curse it's been it's been a pretty seven years since it was a fantastic 27 years leading to it but a seven years since um it's almost been a curse beating vladimir klitschko um it was obviously an Everest climb and a heavyweight champion taken out, but it, it has its uh, pros and cons, for sure.
0: Wait a second, how could it be a sh- seven years since? Your life, I mean, you've gotten everything you wanted, you, you became infinitely more popular on top of the world, selling out stadiums. How could it be sh- since then?
2: Um, you say I've got everything I ever wanted. Um, I never really wanted all the fame and all the shite that comes with being a champion. Wasn't what I was about. I got everything I ever wanted by beating Klitschko. Just getting that victory over him would have been a what? Is, is, um, it takes over your life. You, you don't own your own life anymore. You can't go anywhere. You can't. You, you can't live a normal life. So it's not what I wanted, and it's not a great life. it, it's, it sucks. D- it, um, it's not good because you don't have your own life anymore. I'm stuck. I'm stuck where I have to be tortured by people wherever I go. I can't go out with my family. I can't just be a normal guy no more. I've got to be this heavyweight champion, heavyweight boxer who gets um, hassle wherever it is. So, yeah, it's not all what I wanted. I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for, to be fair. Um, I wanted the victory over Klitschko, but I didn't want what came with it. I just wanted to fight win. That's what I wanted.
0: Notice the curse that has befallen Tyson. Sadly enough, he's someone who has professed faith back and forth, whether or not he's a Christian, and then turns himself back doing very New Age things at some points, and also doing drugs, getting caught with uh, on drugs and alcohol and partying it up and so forth. So we pray that he actually has full repentance. But nonetheless, speaking of boxing— this hopelessness that we're talking about, that so much of cinema has been pushing, whether in articles, whether in the actors himself, or even in celebrities. Rocky Balboa, the movie Rocky, written by and directed by none other than Sylvester Stallone, he talked about why he wanted to make that film in light of all the films around him in Babylon, so to speak. And I want you to hear him talk about specifically why he wanted to make a movie like Rocky.
2: Well, I felt at the time that cinema, at least the movies I had been seeing, were at an all-time low. It was Everything was anti-society, anti-Christ, anti-government, anti-everything, and there was no one to root for. And I also feel that films are very cyclic, so I wanted to get back into the cycle of uh, the films of the 40s and the 50s, where people say, hey, gee, I missed the good old films, yet Hollywood hasn't taken heed and hasn't made any good old fashion-type films where uh, morality was at the forefront. So I took the opportunity to write this particular film, of course, being somewhat selfish because I had myself in mind for it, but that was the, the main motivation.
0: Notice, once again, there was a word that Sylvester used in discussing why he wanted to make that film, and that word, once again, was that cyclical understanding. And this is something that not only we can look at by viewing these other religions, it's why astrology exists. It's why so many of these false religions exist, is they think everything is cyclical. But for the Christian, we know that there's a culmination where we get to be with Jesus forever and ever, that we look forward, putting on the helmet of salvation, the promise of Christ's return, that we get to be with him forever. And I want you to read this text from Second Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he talks about those false teachers who mock the fact that Jesus is coming and actually, where's the sign of his coming? What are you talking about? Where's he? Everything has just always been the same. And here is what he says in Second Peter chapter 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last day, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was from the beginning of creation." For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And that's a verse I think is really important for us in this season and this time and having the opportunity to share the gospel freely as we do, recognizing also something that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, When he said, make the most of your time for the days are evil. This is something we need to recognize. And how many more opportunities are you going to have to share the gospel with your lost family and friends, with your lost neighbor? And I think it's a great time to be able to do that. And I want to leave on a good note today because we recently as a family went out and watched a movie that was made about the author of a poem. Uh, the poem would turn into the song that we know called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And the movie was—actually, I really enjoyed it. I hope that it tells the true story, and I'm going to read from what we do have in hopes of knowing that the things that were depicted in the film are actually true. But I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, a lot of people have sang that song. It's a beautiful hymn now, uh, and or it's a beautiful song, and I love singing that song. And I want to go into that story of that song, because one of the things that happens in the film, at least, his wife actually came to Christ on Christmas Day. And the story is one of sadness, but honestly of hope when it comes to having this sadness, that there is a hope because there is a culmination in this story. And it's what gave him the impetus for the song. And if you read the lyrics, which we'll do at the end of this, It is really amazing to see this battle that was going on in Mr. Henry Longfellow's life. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day is a Christmas carol based on the 1863 poem Christmas Bells by American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. The song tells of the narrator hearing Christmas bells during the American Civil War, but despairing that, quote, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to man, After much anguish and despondency, the carol concludes with the bells ringing out the resolution that God is not dead, nor doth he sleep, and that there will ultimately be peace on earth and goodwill to man. In 1861, two years before writing this poem, Longfellow's personal peace was shaken when his second wife of 18 years, to whom he was very devoted, was fatally burned in an accidental fire. Then, in 1863, during the American Civil War, Longfellow's oldest son, Charles Appleton Longfellow, joined the Union Army without his father's blessing. Longfellow was informed by a letter dated March 14, 1863, after Charles had left. Quote, I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. I feel it to be my first duty to do what I can for my country, and I would willingly lay down my life for it if it would be of any good charles was soon appointed as a lieutenant but in november he was severely wounded in the battle of mine run charles eventually recovered but his time as a soldier was finished longfellow wrote the poem on christmas day in 1863 christmas bells was first published in february 1865 in our young folks a juvenile magazine published by tickner and fields References to the Civil War are prevalent in some of the verses that are not commonly sung. The refrain, Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Men, is a reference to Luke 2.14. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to man. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent, the hearth stones of continent, And made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow was an abolitionist of slavery and wrote such, I mean, just incredible words. And to see in his pain of his second wife who had passed, you see also the fact that there will be peace on earth. There will be peace on earth. And that peace only comes through Jesus Christ. And the only hope that you can truly find on this earth or the next is found in the finished work that he performed on the Cross of Calvary. This is Chad Davidson. Merry Christmas! This is the 511 News.
1: The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available, or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.